Have you ever noticed that some people love change? And some people hate change. And then they marry each other. Right? And I, I'm, I'm just like in that camp with everybody else. I tend to love change. Uh, we moved almost every year of my childhood. We were in a different house. Every other year was in a different state, different school, different church, different life. And so my attention span's never been that long anyways. I'm just used to change a lot. And I married someone whose father literally built the house she lived in her entire life with his hands. And she never left that house and never left that church and never left that group of friends. And she married me. And I'm like, we've been married six weeks. Let's move. It wasn't six weeks. It was only six months. And we did move. We moved an hour and a half away, six months into marriage. Because there's people who love change and people who hate change and they marry each other. I will find that the older I get, the less I enjoy change, though. Right. And and now I'm actually really concerned about is this change actually something better? Because I don't enjoy the status quo. I don't think that's the heart of Jesus. He's the God who makes all things new. The reality is we can't have progress without change. We can't have improvement without change. And maybe you grew up in church and you'll understand this word when I say we can't be sanctified by the work of the Holy Spirit. If we're resistant to change. And so whether you love change for the sake of change or hate change for the sake of change, we're all called as the followers of Jesus to embrace change. Because we serve a God who meets us where we are and loves us too much to leave us there. He's in the business of change. And his change is never because he's bored. And it's not because he thinks uh, that he needs to just have a change of scenery. It's because he delights in making all things new. And what I believe with all of my heart is there's a lot of people discouraged by what they've seen around them in the last 18 months, including among those who call themselves Christians. But I believe if we'll look away from the negative for a minute, I see God at work among the people of God. I believe there's a move of God happening right now. And some of it is a purging. Some of the reason that we're seeing some disappointing things is because we're seeing people who are followers of self and not followers of Jesus. And, and maybe what he's, he's creating is a clear divide between life and death. And that's a gift. That, that's a good thing. Might be a painful thing, but it's a good thing. I will tell you in the, the youth camps that I got the privilege to preach in this summer, I saw the spirit of God move among the next generation like I've never seen in my life. God's up to something. And I believe with all of my heart that we are in a season of change as a church. And I believe God's up to something. This series is called Worship Transformed. Tried to start this series a long time ago, long before remodeling began. It just so happened to be the work of the Holy Spirit that here we are towards the tail end of a remodel talking about a way more important renovation. The renovation of our worship of a holy and worthy God. 
Would you please grab your Bibles this morning um, or your tablet or your phone or whatever it is you use to follow along with the Word of God. If you're a guest today, we invite you to join with us in our tradition here. We hold up our Bibles and say a creed together about this book. It's going to be important actually for our conversation this morning that we start off together on the same page. And so if this is where you're at in your spiritual journey, then join with us in declaring this together this morning. Let's hold them up and let's say this together. The Bible is the Word of God. The truth of the Bible will change my life. Lord, open my heart and awaken my mind and give me grace to respond. Change me for your glory and my joy. Amen. Please turn to John chapter 4. John chapter 4. And I will confess that what I'm about to say, y'all have heard me say a lot, this is one of my favorite passages of Scripture. But for real this time. This is for real top five favorite passages of scripture. As a matter of fact, this part of the of the scriptures is a little bit nostalgic to me, not to make it about me, but it's been hard not to be a little reflective in preparation for this series. If you don't know this, when I first came to Temple, it was not to be the lead pastor here. Um, I was contacted by a friend of a friend. He said, there's a church in Texas that needs a worship and associate pastor. And I said, we're not trying to move to Texas. We'd been in Atlanta for eight years. We were trying really hard to get back home to our family uh, in Jacksonville, Florida. Uh, We had been strategically moving that direction. I had actually done multiple phone interviews with a church in Tallahassee, which as a Florida Gator fan was tough, but even purgatory needs missionaries. And so um, I was willing to consider it. And so um, if that didn't fit you, that would be like saying God called me to Norman, Oklahoma. Maybe that resonates better, right? Yeah, okay. Okay. (laughs) <laughs> two lanes scored 800 points on Oklahoma yesterday. Okay. Um, sorry. <laughs> That's the first amen I've gotten in six months out of Neil. Um, okay. So, so we were talking to this church, right? About coming to do music and associate. And I said, man, we're really trying hard to get back to Florida, but we'll come out and take a look. The conversation sounded really encouraging, a church that values the next generation and Christian education. And Okay, we'll come take a look. But I made it real clear before we came, we want to sit and be spectators on a Sunday morning, and then we're flying out Sunday afternoon, and we'll see. I'm not coming to candidate, which is the church word for audition. I'm not doing that. We'll we'll do that in round two. We'll see. And then we came... (laughs) We stepped on this hill and sensed the potential of the move of God in this place and saw the history of what God had done in the past and started to sense a stirring in our hearts that said, maybe Florida is not the direction we're supposed to head. And so we ended up very last second saying, okay, we'll stay through till Monday. And I was asked, okay, well then lead worship. That's back when we had Sunday night services. So Sunday afternoon, I was told, hey, why don't you lead worship and preach tonight? All right, I'll preach out of the passage that's most impactful to me. And so on March 1st, 2009, I preached this text. Fast forward about a year and a half, a little less than a year and a half, our pastor resigned and I was asked to serve as interim. And during the season that the church had asked me to consider being a pastor and had voted on me, I was smack dab in the middle of a series on this passage. The... First Sunday I preached after being voted in as your pastor, I finished this text. And I said at the time, this is a text we need to revisit once a year. That was in September of 
2011. That was October that I finished that series. But I didn't come back to this text until 2016, five years later. But we preached this text again in 2016, and I said again in 16, this is a text we need to revisit often, and we haven't been in this text since 2016. So in 2019, I was like, we got to come back to this text. And so it was scheduled to have started this series in the spring of 2020. Yeah. Little did we know at that time that the Lord was going to provide funds and resources to be able to do this remodel. And so now it actually makes a lot of sense to talk about the fact that there is a renovation taking place by God in worship that has nothing to do with real estate. Paint, chairs, walls, carpet. No, it has to do with the heart and the mind. What we're going to do is start zooming in in the center of this text. And then over the next several weeks, we're going to kind of get a wider view or a a higher view of this text. We'll start this morning really just unpacking the idea of one verse. But we'll read two. We'll read verses 23 and 24 to start off this morning of John chapter 4. This is Jesus speaking. The hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and truth. Worship transformed. Worship in spirit and in truth. We zoom back to verse number 23. We're going to kind of unpack phrase by phrase and thought by thought this verse, but we're going to zoom in first to a single word, a terrifying word, and that's the word true. True worship. The implication of there being something called true worship is that there must be something that's called False worship, untrue worship, busted up worship, worship light, worship-ish, worship. The reason I say that it's terrifying that there's something called true worship and the implication that there would be something that's at best, untrue worship is that I believe worship is the only reason anything exists that exists. I believe that the purpose of all creation and all history is for the glory of God alone. Without his glory, there's nothing that is. It's the reason that we exist. We aren't living in the middle of the story of me. We're living smack dab in the middle of the story of God, just like every generation before us and after us, because all of creation exists for the glory of the creator. And so if the purpose of everything that ever has been, everything that is and everything that will be is the glory of God, and that can happen in an untrue way, that should get our attention. That's worth leaning in. That's worth saying, uh-oh. That's worth pulling out the magnifying glass or, or taking an examination and saying, is the purposes of God, are the purposes of God being fulfilled in me? Is the thing that I do called worship, true worship? Or is it 
a knockoff brand. When Maurice and I were early married, the the trend of our first uh, decade of ministry, I guess, was around worship and youth, student ministry. And from the very beginning, she knew that I had a major overreaction, well, to most things, (laughs) to be fair, those of you who know me. Overreacting is kind of, but I had a major overreaction to off-brand soda being brought to a student event, right? Like you don't drink no mountain thunder at home. Don't bring it to these students. They are worthy of, of the real thing. Don't bring your Dr. Thunder. No, like if you can't afford that extra 30 cents, only bring one two liter. Not 12 of the off-brand. Come on. Can I get a witness? Man. Would Pepsi be okay? No. That's how the terrorists win is when you drink Pepsi. We stand for freedom. Bring the Coca-Cola products. Because... There ain't nothing like the real thing. And if we'll apply that same level of passion and maybe a lot more to the thing that we do called worship. Let's get a distaste for off-brand worship. For lesser than worship. For dollar store worship. Let's be picky. (laughs) Let's be a little snooty and take this thing serious. True worship. And here's what we begin to understand as we zoom back out in true worship. The hour is coming and is now here. You know what that's the language of? That's the language of transformation. That's the language of a shift happening. That's the the language of a transition happening. That's the language of something's up and we're not going to be the same on the other side of this. What Jesus is, is revealing the gospel grace in himself to this poor, isolated woman who we'll talk about more later, but she ain't the point in the story so she can wait a minute. Jesus is saying, when I show up, things change. Literally, that's our mission statement and purpose statement as a church is that temple exists to guide people to life change in Jesus Christ. We believe that true worship is transformed worship. And transformed worship comes from an encounter with Jesus Christ. When we truly have an encounter with Jesus, we don't walk away the same. Now, I can believe stuff about Jesus. I can even pray some prayer about Jesus, but not actually have an encounter with Jesus. But to follow after Jesus means there's a change. Means there's a transition happening. God's doing some stuff in me. Not I'm pretending to be different. God's up to something in me that's changing my life. The hour is coming and is now here. He's up to something. And things won't be the same again. So this idea of transformed worship is the heart of true worship. 
But it's not just the topic of worship that matters. Because we go back to this idea of true worship and notice that it says the true worship errs. Worship is not a generic, abstract, vague, celestial thing. God is not looking to find worship from the universe. Because it's already doing its job. Do you follow me? Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God and they've never taken a day off. The heavens have never corrupted their worship. The heavens have never taken a day off and been really selfish. (laughs) The sky above is, is showing forth his handiwork and it can't help but do that. That's why Jesus was like, dude, if, if praise doesn't happen, the rocks will cry out. Like rocks, rocks will grow like lips and vocal cords and tongues and lungs and be like rocks because creation's under the authority of its creator. It knows what its job is. It's us who bear his image, who were given the freedom to follow a different path of worship that's off target. And so when it says he's looking for true worship, he wants that from people who bear his image. And so he's not just looking for worship generic. He's looking for worship. Errs. You remember years ago, the the Budweiser frogs? The Super Bowl commercial? Bud. Wise. Err. Yes. I think when Jesus spoke this through the Holy Spirit... (laughs) Okay, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Looking for true worship errs. And, he, and oh, we'll get more to this later, but he's speaking to a busted up, rejected, alienated woman with a reputation. No. From regular people who've experienced an encounter with Jesus. He's looking for transformed lives that exist for his glory and his renown. Regular, ordinary people. Worship is not the job of musicians. Worship is not the job of pastoral staff. Worship is not the job of clergy. Worship is not the job of the really holy, special, spiritual people. Worship is the job of the followers of Jesus. We are the army of worshipers. Whether you're tone deaf, whether you've ever played an instrument, or whether you think you're really spiritual or not, if you've encountered Jesus, welcome to your calling. Father's seeking for such people to worship him. Regular, ordinary, with struggles and successes and failures and doubts. People who aren't defined by their wins and losses, but by their calling. We exist for the glory of God. The hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers We'll worship the Father. We'll actually focus more on that in a couple weeks. True worshipers know who they worship, but we'll circle back to that. Uh, Actually, next week, Lord willing. What I want to spend the rest of our time together this morning discussing as we talk about transformed worship 
as we talk about renovated worship, is about us. See, way more important to God than the renovation of a worship center is the transformation of a worshiper. You with me? This is just a place. This building has looked ten different ways in its existence, and it will look different tomorrow. This remodel has been a vision in my heart since the first time I ever walked in here. It's exciting. But it will last 15 minutes. These chairs will wear out just like the blue chairs have. They'll have just as many stains on them. You wouldn't believe what these kids do to these chairs. Coffee will be spilled on this carpet any minute now. It's coming. The digital board is cool. Listen, by the time, if God allows me to finish my days in ministry as your pastor, I'm convinced before you force me into retirement that this will be gone and we will have stained glass and a pipe organ again because everything in the life of a church is, is cyclical. It all comes and goes. There's going to be somebody who's like, maybe instead of chairs, we should have like really long chairs. Yeah, we can call them pews. <laughs> Maybe instead of these screens that like go out and get dull, we should print the music and have them in a book. Stick them in the back of the long chairs. It's I'm telling you, in my lifetime. <laughs> the, I was talking to the installers who put this... It's cool, man. It's exciting. We're going to come watch like Super Bowl on this thing. It's awesome, right? Um, the dude installing this, he's like, you know, these individual bulbs are warrantied for 100,000 hours. I'm like, dude, that thing ain't going to be up here 100,000 hours from now. Because stuff changes. You know what doesn't change? God's still in the business of writing his glory on human hearts. And whether it sounds different, looks different, smells different, is more digital or less digital or newer or hipper or cooler, God is unimpressed with all of it and disinterested in all of it. He wants to know, are you on board with what he's doing in you? That's his focus. And he, Lance, the renovation of the Holy Spirit's on time. He never has delivery delays. He doesn't change the price on you. <laughs> Sorry, that was bitter. Um, <laughs> the hour is coming and is now here where the true worshipers will worship the Father. The rest of our time will focus on this in spirit and truth. Spirit and truth. So first we'll focus on this idea of spirit. And I know... If you're looking on the screens instead of at your Bible or your device or whatever, we've got it in all capital letters here, but it's not capitalized in your Bible. There's only one English translation I'm aware of that capitalizes the S here as though it's a reference to the Holy Spirit. So let's make sure we understand spirit because so often 99% of the sermons I've heard and, and the books that I've read about this passage exclusively talk about worship in spirit as being worship in the capital S spirit, worship in the Holy Spirit. And I believe that that is part of what this means. 
And I believe it means more. So first I'll say, absolutely, I believe this is what it means because right before this conversation with this woman at this well, Jesus had a conversation where with a very different kind of person, a very influential religious leader named Nicodemus, where he talks about the fact that you can't come to the Father unless you're born again. And Nicodemus is like, that's the weirdest thing I've ever heard. I'm supposed to start life over. I've worked really hard to get here. Which was his whole focus in life as that religious leader was he was working hard to get to God. And Jesus says, no, you've got to be reborn. And that which is born of water is water. But then he says this, that which is born of the capital S spirit is spirit. It's like he's saying until the Holy Spirit comes on a person and writes life in their spirit, their spirit isn't really a spirit yet. Their spirit is dead, is later what the Apostle Paul would say. And so to worship in spirit does mean to worship in the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit awakens in us, literally gives us the ability, capacity to worship God. So it does mean in the spirit, and it also just means spirit. Like as in spirited, as in like from the inside, it's literally the word breath. That worship comes from inside of us, the whole inner man, our spiritual being, our emotions, our feelings, our hearts. That worship is from spirit in us. Back in the day, in our gymnasium as we're playing basketball, one side would break out in the cheer. We got spirit. Yes, we do. We got spirit. How about you? This is that kind of spirit. This is like raw. Spirit fingers. Toe touch. I ain't doing a toe touch. (laughs) That's not happening. This is enthusiasm. Not fake. But this is excitement, enthusiasm. We'll talk more about that in a couple weeks. For some people... They've already had the biggest worship experience they've had in years this weekend because they attended a college football game and had more enthusiasm, more spirit than they've experienced since before the pandemic. And interestingly, some of those same people who paint their bodies different colors and scream like crazy people. If they attend church the next morning, do so with their arms folded. I'm just not an emotional person. Dude, when that person you'll never meet got an interception, you cried. I saw a tear. Nah. And true worship is not passionless. Well, I'm just not naturally an emotional person. Man, the, the whole idea is that true worship is about the Holy Spirit awakening something in us that is not natural. In our natural state, we're dead. Spiritual worship doesn't look like or sound like a funeral. Worship in spirit has life in it. Jesus 
would talk about the the stale-hearted, calloused worship of the religious people. And he quoted the prophet Isaiah in Matthew chapter 15. He said, this people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And that kind of worship is vain, vanity, empty, meaningless, soap bubbles, gone, no substance. Jesus is concerned about worship coming from our lips. But he's infinitely more concerned about worship coming from our hearts. Worship in spirit and truth. Worship that is awakened. I love Jim Carrey's The Grinch movie. Right? Have you seen this? Jim Carrey's The Grinch, it's fantastic. Like, go watch it today. The Cowboys won't lose today, so there's nothing to watch. Um, They don't play today. Um, Go watch it today. Be Christmas in September. There's this great scene where he pulls the little x-ray thing over to his heart. Down a size and a half. Right? But then at the end of the movie... When he experiences some compassion, something happens inside of him, right? He starts grabbing his chest. It physically is moving. He grabs his arm as though he's having a heart attack, right? Dramatically falls to the ground in pure Jim Carrey fashion. Something's happening inside of me. And all that is is a really more animated version and comedic version of heart transformation. To have an encounter with Jesus is a very real heart transplant. From a heart of stone to a heart of flesh. From a dead heart to a living heart. That is worship in spirit. Do the people who watch us worship believe that our hearts are in it? Or is our worship so reserved that it doesn't look spirited at all? I'm not talking about a false balance. We'll get to that in a minute. True worship has breath in it, has life in it. Worship in spirit. Now, worship in truth. Worship in truth. That word truth is an awesome word. It's the word that has to do with mentally receiving absolute truth. That our mind is engaged with absolute truth. So true worship can't come from a false word. And the interesting thing is, I'll be real careful. There's a lot of churches that seem to have a lot of spirit who are preaching another gospel that's not a gospel at all. And that might look happy and enthusiastic, but I would submit to you that's not true worship. Because true worship is in spirit and truth. That the word of God is faithfully proclaimed. That lyrics matter in the songs that we sing. 
And it might sound great, but if the words aren't true, it doesn't matter. And if the words are true and my heart's right, it can sound terrible and it doesn't matter. I, I don't know if y'all understand this, right? So, and now I've been here too long. I, I'm getting the same blind eyes sometimes. We've got ridiculously talented musicians for a church this size. Like we have some really gifted people. And what if we didn't? He's still worthy to be praised. Like if every one of these jokers was tone deaf and had no fingers and they're trying to play the guitar with their ear, he's still worthy to be praised. Play guitar with their ear. I don't, that was weird. Worship in truth is grounded in truth and it means more than that. It means worship for real. Like it doesn't mean just mental truth. It means like in actual truth. Like not truth that's just believed or known, but truth that's lived. You ever have your friend tell you a story and they tell you a story and you're like, wow. And they're like, no, 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 no. For real, man. True worship is like for real. Like we walk out. Living like we believe the lyrics to the songs we sing. We walk out living like we trust the prayers we pray when we're together. We walk out living like we believe the word we sit and receive. That's worship in truth. For real. And let me say this about worship in spirit and in truth. And I'm getting ahead of myself, but I just can't not say this right now. The next generation is watching us and they want to know if we care And if we actually believe and will live out what we say we worship. Because if we say we're basing our entire eternity and our entire life on this thing and our hearts are never stirred up, what message are we sending to the world? And if we're not growing in the knowledge of the truth and yet we're saying everything hinges on this, then where's the credibility in our message? And then if we're not living it, why are we doing this? I said this years ago. Matt Chandler said, church makes for a terrible hobby. Go get a boat. If this isn't for real, I believe God's on the move right now, tearing some stuff away from his people, transforming our worship to be deeper in our spirit and deeper in his truth. Which is the repeated theme, by the way, of the story of God. Beginning with the Shema, Deuteronomy chapter 6. All of our purpose and vision statements as a church are written from the Shema. Hear, O Israel, Yahweh is one. Jesus repeats this when he's confronted by the attorney who's trying to trip him up, right? What's the most important commandment in the law? Jesus repeats the Shema. Matthew chapter 22 records it, and Mark chapter 12 records it. Jesus replies to that trickster. He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, the inner life, our spirit, and with all your mind and all your strength. Truth. This is the whole testimony of God. 
By the way, part of how we live it out in truth is loving our brother as ourself, our neighbor as ourself. That's part of living it out in truth. And it takes some strength. <laughs> You've been on social media lately. It takes some strength to love people. That's true worship. Everything in the story of God hinges around this spirit and truth oriented his direction. Worshiping the Father in spirit and in truth. It's why 10 years ago I asked you for permission to start a tradition of saying this creed. The reason that we pray every week, Lord, open my heart and awaken my mind, is because he's not truly glorified unless he answers that prayer. If he won't stir up our affections and engage our attention, he will not be truly worshipped in this place in us. We, we pray, God, let my spirit, let my heart love you and let my mind learn of you. We pray, God, may the, my heart's feelings and my mind's focus be oriented toward you, spirit and truth. And here's the thing about spirit and truth. What I've noticed over these years of being pretty obsessed with this passage is what I've found out is most people tend to be better at one or the other. Most people's personality type from the time they were born tends to be more spirited or tends to be more intellectual, right? And then they marry each other, right? Same, same as at the beginning. Some people are just more emotive. Not some people are more emotional. That is a lie. No one is more emotional or less emotional than anyone else on planet Earth unless you have mental defect. Like a psychopath has less emotions. But if you're not a psychopath, you're not less emotional. You might express it less easily or naturally. But create the image of God. We are emotional beings. Some people are just more naturally expressive in that. And then some people are just the ponderers, right? They, they just want to think things through and study things through. But the type of person who's like, ow, I'm, my elbow's hurting. And then there's the other person who's like, why does my elbow hurt? <laughs> right? But here's the thing about what comes natural. We're not talking about natural worship. So it is irrelevant which one comes easier to us. We're in the mode of transformed worship where he's awakening giftings in us that we did not naturally possess. Where more emotional people are becoming more educated in the things of God and where deeper thinkers are having their emotions stirred up for the glory of God. I love that we tend to be better at spirit or truth because it just goes to show this isn't by us or about us. It's all about him. And he's growing us and transforming us for his glory. And the reason both are so important, this is important. Spirit without truth leads to heresy, leads to doctrinal error, leads to, to emotionalism, leads to recklessness. I've, I've, I've been to those 
services that felt really spirited and people were literally jumping over the pews and they were running around and shouting and nobody ever opened the book. It's pretty spirited. Where was the truth? And then I've sat in a whole lot of services. A lot of them in this room. Where God's word was presented there didn't feel like there was a lot of spirit in the room. True worship is a both-and proposition. Spirit without truth is shallow, and truth without spirit is lifeless. It's cold. It's dry. It's passionless. And it's joyless. I could talk for another 30 minutes, but I won't. But let's just look at the the end of the verse. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. Man, can you act like that's the first time you've ever read that and just acknowledge with me? That's weird. The God who knows everything and is everywhere... Is looking for something. Is that weird? The God who's self-sufficient, his name is, I am. Like he so is, that's his name. But he's looking for something? He's seeking after something? I don't even know what to do with that. I don't have a box to put that in. I don't have a shelf to put that on. How can the all-knowing, all-seeing, all-present, all-sufficient God be looking for something? I don't know, but it has my attention. He's seeking for people whose heart and mind are engaged in His glory. This word seek does not mean what I just did, like I'm looking for my keys or my phone. Doesn't mean he's lost. This word in the original language also means to desire. He's not seeking after something because he doesn't have it. He desires something for our good. God doesn't want you to worship him because he's insecure. God doesn't worship, want you to worship him because he's needy. God doesn't have a poor self-image. God wants you to worship him because he knows that only when your heart and your mind are engaged in his glory can you actually live. He knows that only when you worship him in spirit and truth will you actually find purpose and meaning and flourishing and identity and fulfillment. And by the way, how does that make him that weird? Because everything around us is seeking for our affection and our attention. Everything. Every minute of the day. Some of you have had to have discipline in the last 30 minutes to not reach for the vibration that you felt in your pocket. Because you know that that notification is important. Everything is screaming for our attention and our affection. Thank God that the only one who can fulfill any of his promises 
is seeking for our attention and our affection. So think of it in two ways. Since we're a family that has a teenage driver, imagine you're riding with your student driver. One of the things that you don't want to do with a student driver is distract them. Right? You don't want to be riding with your student driver and be like, huh, look at this. Because they'll go, what? But if you do see them driving towards a cliff, you are going to seek to get their attention and go, hey, go that way. This is not God saying, hey, look at me. I need to feel better about myself. He's saying, hey, every other direction that you can point your heart or you can point your mind will lead to destruction. Look and live. Look to me and find your life. Engage your heart and your mind with the only thing that can possibly satisfy your soul. That's why he's seeking for true worshipers, which is why our creed ends every week. Change me for your glory and my joy. Because those two things are not at odds. They're the path to one another. God's glory is the only possibility of me experiencing any lasting joy in my life. The problem is, that's easy to say from up here today. But at some point in time, probably before the sun goes down, I'll be really tempted to find my joy in my glory. In life oriented around me. Which is one of the reasons that a group of struggling, busted up people come together to the well at least once a week to be reminded again together that true joy, true quench of our thirst is found when we engage our hearts and our minds with the glory of God. He seeks transformed worship for our good and for his good. This past week, um, this past week I got to see the best of y'all. I don't know, I don't know if I've said this in a while, but I, I love getting to be your pastor. I'm really glad we didn't go to Florida and we came to Fort Worth. Because every now and then, the day-to-day grind of stuff and making decisions about COVID and trying to calendar events past 30 minutes from now based on how stuff keeps changing, every now and then, God gives me this little clarity of who I'm doing life with. This week was one of those weeks. For decades, this church has prayed for a guy named Dan. There are people in heaven today who spent years praying for Dan to experience a transformation, an encounter with Jesus. Those prayers seemed to have been unanswered. But Dan, 78 years old, is now battling terminal cancer. 
past week as he was moved to a hospice facility and seemed to not be very lucid. Kind of seemed like hope was lost after all these years. But a whole bunch of y'all who've experienced an encounter with Jesus didn't give up on him. So a group of our church started praying around the clock. We had a leadership team meeting Tuesday night. and We didn't discuss any business until we shed some tears together around that table for Dan on Tuesday night. Wednesday morning, I went to see Dan. And he was as lucid and responsive and tenderhearted, kind of joyful, receptive. And we talked about his relationship with God. That conversation ended saying, you've given me a lot to think about. Let me think about it. I said, okay. And I left. Here's the tough thing about Dan's situation is two and a half weeks ago, he admitted to his wife that he was really scared to die. And Cheryl said, I'm not. Let me tell you why. And she shared the gospel for the eight millionth time. Okay, not eight million, but you know what I mean. And Dan said, good for you. I'm scared to die. This Thursday, Cheryl walked into Dan's hospice room. And one of the first things he said to her was, Hey, have they told you how much time I have left? She said he asked it with so much peace. She said literally his face looked different. She said, No, Dan, they haven't said. He said, Well, it's okay. I'm not scared anymore. I'm at peace with God. Do you know why that happened? Because the Father is seeking for ordinary people to experience life transformation that results in His glory and their joy. That's why. And one day soon, Dan will go ahead of us his role as a joyful worshiper of the God of all creation. That's the hope of the transformation that's found in an encounter with Jesus.